0: Strategy. Design. Marketing.
1: UX. Digital. Development.
0: This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and
1: I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored
0: by Together We Ship.
1: On a mission to help agencies grow.
0: All right. Rock on. Here we are. Varun, my friend, how are you? What is going on?
1: You know, Jesse, I'm doing good. Just feeling a little fat because of eating all the sweets from Diwali last week. We had back-to-back celebrations and too much food. So I just need to do some extra work this week to get back in shape.
0: I, I, um, I am going to point out for those watching the video, Varun is wrapping uh, okay. some some together uh, merch over here that I see. Um, I I need to get my hot little hands on one of those, so.
1: I just got that today, so you'll have it soon.
0: Nice. All right, so are you ready for today's guest? Because I'm ready for today's guest. Today's guest is the writer of Superpowered. It's Superpowered highlights seven leadership strategies for technology executives who wanna grow a more tech-driven, engaged, and profitable organization. He's uh, won the award for best custom software development. He's founder and CEO of Caxy Interactive, Michael LaVista. Welcome to the podcast, Michael.
2: Hello there. And I am jealous of not having all those good sweets last week. So I may have to
1: find <laughs> some friends to to- have
2: some leftovers. Well, you have a friend now. I'm going to send you some. I do. Let's do it. Got Can it. Can
1: I get it on there? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, for
1: sure.
0: Well, good. So let's start off, you know, we always start off our conversation, Michael, with uh, what myth would you like to bust? What misconception or bogus strategy would you like to smash and set the record straight on? What do you got?
2: Sure. So, um, and I think we'll touch on this in a number of different ways today, but I think that the one I want to, I focus on trying to bust the most is the idea that in an agency relationship, the most important thing you can do with the client on the front end is find out the budget. And it's a sort of this, uh, this Holy grail. uh, Once, once we find the budget, everything, you know, magically uh, comes into place. And in reality, all you're doing is going on this sort of errand to find out like, did this person who really doesn't have the authority to say yes, they probably only have the authority to say no, if they have any money assigned to them. And really what you want to focus on to maybe put a zero on the size of your projects is to figure out what your client's business problem that you're trying to solve is. And figure out what that's worth. And then the budget sort of becomes not irrelevant, but it becomes less of a factor. And it's more about what are we solving here together?
1: It's so interesting you said that because all the sales training that I have heard, you know, the one thing that they teach is understand, get to a point before you, after you get from the call, from from the prospect, you need to know one, their timeline and the two, their cost or the budget. And here you are talking about, you know, that is not that relevant. Um, How, like how, and how would you overcome that? Or how would you, what would, what would be the approach that you will follow if not that?
2: Sure. So I think that it comes down to a realization I had um, probably took me way too long to get here, but I think that the realization is if you're looking at something that is is purchased, maybe come from the client side, looking at something that's purchased with a timeline and a budget, you're you're buying a commodity. You're you're not buying, you know, custom consulting services or you know design services. It's the same way you'd buy like, you know, a hundred tons of steel. So it's like, okay, um, we're we're buying the steel and we have a quote for. I don't know how how much steel is, but it's, you know, here's 11 cents a a ton and here's 12 cents a ton and here's nine cents a ton. Okay. And they can get it to us by Thursday. Great. Let's have the transaction and purchase it. Um, Whereas if you think about where I was going with sort of the myth myth busting is if I were to tell you that, um, you know, the, the reason the company is purchasing the steel is because um, you know, we're. Tesla. And we just got that. What did they like? They got a million orders or a hundred thousand orders from Hertz. And we've got to build all these new Teslas and we're going to need all this steel, but crucially the steel has to, um, you know, have certain, I don't know. I'm winging here. Certain like characteristics about like how much it bends or, you know, where it melts or something like that. And when I go in the details of the more expensive steel, it turns out that, uh, Oh, this is made with a, you know, uh, it's coming from a place where, you know, the, you know, their fault tolerance is really low and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm going down a weird path here, but the idea is if you're not just having a transaction, because I think in an agency world, what you're selling are these out, you should be selling an outcome. You, you shouldn't be selling, um, you know, marketing firms shouldn't be selling Oh, our retainer is $10,000 a month because um, that's really focused on what it costs. It should be focused on working with us. We're going to double your business in two years. And so if it's a, you know, $20 million business, what you're saying is, that we can double the business to forty million, and maybe your margins on that are again making it up twenty percent. And so, you know, is this an eight million dollar engagement? Well, if it's an eight million dollar engagement, then gosh, I mean, ten thousand dollars a month sounds like free, you know. So it's it's forget about budget, focus on outcomes, and what you'll find: two things will happen. Your speed of the sale will go much faster because while well, I'm I'm interested in making eight million dollars to my bottom line. I'm not as excited about spending $10,000. So it's framing. And I think the other thing that happens is the people that go out there with timeline and budget as buyers from your client side are generally lower down in the organization. And if you go to them and say, well, hey, what's this? What's, if, let's say you guys buy this and it goes great. What is this supposed to do exactly? Well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm just supposed to get a cost for the new website, or whatever. Okay, well, great. So let's say you have this website, and your boss comes to you and you're in says, "I can't believe we spent all this money on this website, and it doesn't do anything." And, and you say to yourself, well, you never told me to do that. You just told me to go buy a website. Well, if you knew that it was supposed to double leads or reduce the cost of, you know, cl- you know customer acquisition or something, you've got an outcome. And when you ask those outcome questions, they generally do things like, you know, we should probably include my VP or the CEO in this conversation, because I don't think I know the answer to that question. And now all of a sudden you're up higher level, you're talking about outcomes and probably you find new, better, more valuable work to do. Cool.
0: Um, Let me... Well, I have a question about that because I feel like timeline and budget usually is a differentiator in terms of as an agency owner trying to identify whether or not somebody's a fit for you. So mm-hmm. how in that type of outcome-oriented conversation that you're having, how do you how do you evaluate whether you guys are the right fit, you know, out, outside of like skills and project requirements? Because that mm-hmm. tends to be a, you know, it's a, you know, I can't even think of the word from a marketing standpoint at the moment, but like a lead. Yeah. Like you're not the right fit, move on.
2: So I would say, so I'm. So you're just you're qualifier. Gonna, qualifier. You're
0: gonna, you're gonna
2: get my whole sales process by asking these questions. So that's great. Um, so here, here's how I look at it. Um, I think the way that, um, if I were to dispel another myth, that um, I feel like the idea, just the word, doing a pitch, is 180 degrees wrong. And a pitch implies, all right, 10 people in boardroom. All right, show me what you got and then you go do your song and dance and they see three or five or 10 songs and dances and they evaluate based on what, right. Just based on really um, the, 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 you know, the someone liked that picture, that portfolio better than the second one. Or i like the way that person looked at me, just arbitrary stuff like that. So the way I always do it is I just diffuse all the stuff that is, I think table stakes by saying something like, Hey, listen, you know, when we get down the road and it's time for, you know, the, the you know, whether or not we're going to give you a proposal, we could either give you the same same old song and dance and give you, you know, you know, case studies and how smart we are and you know examples of the work and you know um, you know client references that everyone's going to give you. Everyone you talk to is going to be smart and have a great portfolio. Or we could start talking about your real problems. And I don't know how you guys like to work. Would you rather just see the same old proposal, or do you want to kind of get in the details on this and kind of do some work together? And when you when you pose the question that way, I will tell you that nobody ever answers, no, give me the old boring, stupid way. They say, well, okay, well, what would that be like? And then I think the way that we try to approach it is, and to your your point about, you know, how do do they evaluate, right? Um, I think you want to get out of the logical, quote unquote, logical buyer situation of, um, well, show me how many projects you've done like this, or, um, you know, show me the, the three clients you have that are just like this. You're just trying to check boxes, Whereas if I were to say, if we start working on the problem and I'm able to come up with um, three or four questions that you haven't heard of, what you go away from when you, when they, when the door closes and they go, know what'd you think of that guy? They go, man, we never thought of that. What do, you, what do you think about that thing you brought up? I mean, I don't know about that. You start gaining this sort of like expert status with them. Meanwhile, the other three agencies show up and just do the song and dance Then go I guess that portfolio is nice, but I don't get what this is gonna be like. Um, and so it's a strategy that at least I have about um, uh, trying to present ourselves in a way that we can get to the answer quicker. Because I also hate doing you know, a three-month sales process where we're doing proposals and proposals, all this kind of stuff. I want to get working faster. And it's sort of an abundance mindset where there are people out there like that, maybe not a million, but we couldn't work with a million people. I'm, I'm looking for 20 clients a year makes my year. So I'm looking for people that want to, Work on problems first and so that's sort of the super long-winded answer to that question No,
0: that's a great answer because i think it highlights also one of the challenges that a lot of agency face is when you talked about give me the old boring stupid way you're talking to somebody too low, and if they answer that way they're an order taker they're too low within the organization in terms of who you should be talking to you know and that will send you a message in terms of how that how that company may work and if or if they're a right fit. So I think well, that's a- And, and an maybe just a follow-up,
2: point. like th- this is a situation I feel like we have all been in some point or another. I, we had a client, a prospect, I should say, recently, who, you know, after the first call, we were talking to them and they said, you know, well, you know, um, I said, well, you know, we really want to work on the problem. Like, well, you know, we, we, we're we not, that's not how we work here. Uh, we just want you to send us, you know, if you can send us your quote and then I'll, we'll, we'll run it by the CEO. And if then then we'll do a follow-up call. And we just said, no, that's- we're not going to do that. Yeah, we're good. So, Thanks. Right. And, 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 and what it did was it saved me because I, I, I did this calculation a number of years ago where I was like, I looked at all the proposals I wrote that I really knew. And think about this. If you've ever done this, you hit send on the proposal and you go, this is never going to go anywhere. And, you, <laughs> and you realize that you spent, I mean, what does it take people to do a proposal. I'm going to say average of four hours, start to finish with all the, everything involved in it. And I think I did a hundred proposals one year that I knew I'd evaluated a hundred proposals. Oh my God. Um, 400 hours, which is three plus months, right. Or three months or whatever. And I could have just sat on my hands for three months that year and done just as well. And so taking the other side of that, what could I've done with three months? And so I've really tried to take that approach of, um, I guess it's qualifying is the the, the way people think of that. Qualifying quickly based on, do you want to work the way I want to work? Because I want to go outcome-based. If you just want a number for this thing, there are a million companies, probably within a hundred feet of your office if you're in any downtown in America. hundred companies will give you a number and you'll pick the lowest number because we've also, in those situations, you've never get, um, hey, we sent your proposal, we never talked to you and you were the highest number and we picked you. It's always the lowest number. So those aren't the ones you want. There's no margin there.
0: It's a, it's an interesting point. Cause I know you've been in business and we, I want to get to a little bit about your history here in a second, sure. but I think what's particularly interesting to our, our listeners who are our agencies that are trying to grow because they may not know what they don't know yet. So the idea of going through, I, I could make the case, well, you know, 400 hours is a long time to, to not necessarily waste, but you could think about it as practice and learning, like, you know, and, and, uh, Takeaways from, okay, what could we have done differently? What could we have identified like a postmortem on the proposal process to help mm-hmm. evaluate how to evaluate prospects in the future?
2: Yeah.
0: It's like super meta right now, but hopefully that made sense. Um, it, it, it's an interesting quantifiable activity as, a, as someone who's been doing this a while to be able to say, you know, every proposal is practice. You know, if you bring in mm-hmm. a new salesperson or you bring in and in, in practice in terms of like, okay, why didn't we want this business? Not why didn't we win the business? Because that's usually enough. But why did we not want it? Mm -hmm. Because if you're sending something and you're going, "Mm, I don't, mm -mm," there's an answer there. So um, it's uh, one of the philosophies that I take is if it's business, that would be nice to have, you know, you add in the uh, the upcharge for the pain in the ass fee is what I like to call it, whether or not clients want to hear that, you know, if we get it great, we're going to make some decent money off of it, but I try different in those scenarios. One of the things that I do is I try a different pitch. Like I've got Mm. one in my head that I want to try. That's a little bit different, whether it's pitch or proposal or conversation technique, whatever you want to call it. I use those as opportunities to test it out because there's no risk. I don't want Mm -hmm. the business anyways. And if they pay me great, we'll take the money. Sure. Have sure. you, what do you guys think about that? And then, then I want to move on topic wise. Yeah. I'd love well, to so hear both of your thoughts.
2: You're, you're getting close to an idea, I think. So it's hopefully this, this resonates with what you're just talking about. Um, There's a, there's like a funny thing people do with proposals where it's like the sort of the conventional wisdom or the joke would be, you know, the clients always flip to the end to see what the price is. Right. And if that's happening, you've done it horribly wrong. And I think the idea is, here's this is the idea to think about for proposals a proposal should not be to convince it should be to confirm so you've done all the work in advance and they they know how much it's going to be and the proposal just shows like hey remember all that stuff that we've talked about and worked on and arrived at here's sort of the memorialization of that and show showing what you already know it's like you don't you don't walk into a car dealer and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and then all of a sudden at the end they go oh my God, Ferraris are that much money. I can't buy this, right? That's not how you do it. So what you want is all that conversation leading up to it, like, you know, it's an $8 million problem, right? Oh yeah, it's great. Okay, well, you know, boy, if, if this solution was, you know, even a million dollars, would would that be crazy if you spend a million on an $8 million problem? No, that sounds about right. Okay, well, what if we did this, this and this? Oh, okay, yeah, well, I would want it a little different, but yeah, sure. So then when you do the proposal, it's like we've talked about it and now you're just laying out the story, because I think also a good proposal is like a story. Here's the problem. Here's what you face in the market. Here's what will happen if you don't do it. Here's what will cost you and then here's a solution to get through it. That should be what a proposal does.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think positioning yourself as an expert and be very selective about your prospects. Can save us a lot of time and money just to on the opportunity cost, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you you definitely can do much better job. But sometimes I also feel, and you know, maybe you can share some you know your experience on that. The challenge it may present, also like you know, in the so y- you you have certain way of. Doing and uh, you know doing a sales call where you are not going to talk about the price, you are focusing on outcome. But when the customer and you have to be very good with the sales pitch at that point, right? You need to be really very good with asking the right questions to impress Mm -hmm. upon the client, right? If not, every agency will have that advantage. So that is a great differentiator for you for an agency Mm -hmm. owner you know to to have that uh, in their in their arsenal um have you have have you ever had this so in your case like have you always had such situation or you have built it over time or how was the has your philosophy changed uh, when you started the business versus Oh, where you stand 100%, now, hundred
2: um, percent. To be very, very, very clear, the sort of the imaginary version of how to do this that I've been disparaging is only what I did for fifteen years, right? It's like that's how we all do it, right? And um, and shameless plug in my book that yeah, thank you that you did mention. Um, one of the things I talked about was when I started the business, um, kind of miraculously, every single project was five thousand dollars that we bid on, website. Marketing, like all the stuff that we did, it was always five thousand dollars. And and um, I was talking. I ended up hiring a coach who came to me and sort of after almost like a psychologist session, we figured out that basically that was the most I could imagine spending on anything in the world. Period. There's no way that could be that much. And um, we, I was, I happened to be working on a proposal at the time, and I was like, God, this one. I mean, when I really think about it, this has got to be nineteen thousand dollars, or we're gonna lose our shirt. But I mean, I don't think the client is more than $5,000. And my coach is like, this $5,000 number, where is this coming from? And he goes, if you do it if, it, if it really, you think it's really 19, then if you take it for five, aren't you going to lose money on this? Like, don't do not do it. So he convinced me to go in with my 19 uh, number and they got it without blinking an eye. And then kind of the famous, you know, afterthought is like, I should have said 25. And, and, and it was, it was easy because it turned out the value was huge. It was a huge you know, opportunity for them and they just needed it done now and fast. And I was the person they ran into. I kind of got lucky and I still didn't learn my lesson. It took me a very, very long time, really focusing on, um, what a budget was to me it was like, this is the most to ever spend. And if you've ever, you know, when you think about something that you love and care about, so we'll, I guess we'll get into this in a second, but like one of my, my other life as a, mu- a musician, and I'm cheap about a lot of things in life, and so whatever your anal- analog is for the following, um, I don't spend a lot on you know this or that. But if if you show me like a vintage guitar that's like ten thousand dollars, I'm like, oh, I should probably get that. And it makes no sense. No, it's a it's a ridiculous amount to spend on a guitar, but that's the thing that's important to me. And every business has their vintage guitar, and it's. And if, and if you think, especially as agency owners, who I think are listening to this, think about what you care in the business and the, the consultants you've hired. Um, I've had a number of, dis, not disastrous, but really like far misses on marketing messaging projects where I've hired agencies to come do our marketing. And they focus too much on how smart we were and how cool we are and not what our market wanted. And when I end up spending the money and getting nothing I could use, I'm left with this feeling of like, God, all we wanted to do was grow the business. And I think all they wanted to do was please me and have me sign off. And, the, you know, well, you said you like the thing and you sign off on the stages. I'm like, I know I get it. I did say yes, but I can't use this. This is not going to double my business. And if instead you frame it as like, I need marketing to help double my business. And they go, well, instead of the 10, we told you that's probably going to be 50. I'm like, well, that double my business. Do you think, are you confident about that? Well, here's the plan on how we do it. Great. Whatever. Check blank check. Let's go. And, and that's a different, and what you'll find is budgets go away, especially with people of the power to do it. And really that, excuse me, that's probably CEO of any company up to a pretty good size and maybe some other roles above that. But those are the people that have the problems that they take home at night, like making payroll, doubling the company, uh, spouses and significant others. And, you know, when are we going to make more money kind of stuff? All those, those are the issues that hit home and people that come to them with ideas about how to solve those. Those are the ones that get blank checks. The people are just like, "Hey, my marketing director said we need a new, you know, we need a new website, and it's, you know, I have fifteen thousand dollars. You'll find someone to check that box, but it won't do anything for the business.
0: Yeah, solution selling versus problem solving. Yeah, let's um. It's an interesting, I always make this joke, I, you know, having done run agencies and been involved and in, in run marketing, like, you know, when I was client side, I, I make this joke. I, I used to sit two doors down from our, our CFO and as a marketing leader, your job is to convince the CSO, CFO to approve all the money that you want to spend. And his question was always, what's it going to do for the business, which mm-hmm. is the right question he should have been asking. And so my job was to be like, well, it's going to bring an X number, you know, deliver X number of ROI you know, mm-hmm. on payment of whatever this is, not number of leads, not blah, blah, blah. So it's an, an interesting, yeah. you know, correlation between the client side and the agency component of it. But I, I want to, because you brought up a couple of really interesting comments that I want to tap into. You have an interesting background. You've been doing mm-hmm. this for, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 21 years.
2: Yes. But you've yes. only had
0: one, one job before that you want to yes
2: yeah so my,
0: let me ask the question how did you get into this let's let's go so there how did i
2: get into this i got into this uh the dumbest and most backwards of all possible ways um so out of college um i couldn't figure out what i wanted to do but i'd always been a musician and had a passion for that and tried to become a rock star uh and we are talking here today because i did not um and uh instead um ended up through a number of twists and turns joining a eighties cover band that toured and uh, toured the country, playing colleges and bars and cities around America. Um, our Wait, number, our...
0: Yeah. That's what I want to hear is what was your number one cover?
2: <laughs> so, oh, the number one cover. I, I can yeah. say this, this is the number one cover and the one that made me quit the band. I remember exactly where I was. Um, Jesse's girl made everyone go crazy for, uh, for year after year after year. And I remember we were playing at the university of Northern Iowa, uh, and I was playing it. And I go, I can't play this song ever again. And, uh, that was the, that was the, I quit, I think a week later. Um, but we played all over the country that doing song. that. What's that? About
0: Jesse's guy. That's what I used to say. Yes. to people. You know, I'm like, can we just right. rewrite this? Like, I'm good. Let's you don't do need it. to sing it to me. I'm not a boy. Uh, like, know. I'm good. So. That's, that's funny. I All right, I, I cut you off. Keep
2: going. Right, so uh, to- so, yeah. so we, did, we did that for a long time. And then um, kind of near the end of that run uh, was when um, Dating Myself, the dot-com uh, boom started to happen. And uh, a friend from high school had kind of a crazy idea that sounded fun. And he's like, you know, didn't you, you know, you were always a computer guy and, you know, um, you know, think you could figure this out? I'm like, sure. So I bought some books and read some things and we started the company uh, in 2000 and um we started the, the, the his idea that we did for about two or three years was we made um uh die cut so like in like you know cutting into the shape of a company's logo cd roms what's a cd rom well kids there used to be this thing you put inside computers it was like a a, a the storage device. Anyway, so we'd see ROMs in the shape of logos with animated marketing uh, stuff on them. It's ridiculous. It's a patently ridiculous idea, but it was kind of a mini fad there for a while. And it got me into technology. And actually, the thing that killed it was um, laptops that didn't have the tray drive anymore because they'd put our stuff in there and they would spin around and get caught in the computer and then we'd be in trouble. So um, that kind of, we pivoted into um, e commerce like 2003 or four. Uh, And then my uh, partners left and kind of made a transition more into uh, generally what we're doing now, which is uh, custom software development. But again, I was was actually talking with a friend the other day. um, I have to resist the urge to say we're a custom software development company, because that's a thing. And as we get into like the sort of solution selling, what we do when people ask me now is we help companies that are around 200 million get to a billion. Mm. And I just leave it at that. And hopefully that draw, well, what is that? How, tell me about that. How does that work? And it's technology enabled, but the business outcome is we want to with companies that have like a lot going on. They're big enough. They're at scale. But at that, at that size for us, the problem we solve are things like the rivets are popping because what you built doesn't, it can't be sustained anymore. Or, you know, to double your business, you're going to have to triple your workforce because everything's manual and on pads of paper and, you know excel sheets I can't can't tell you how many hundred million dollar companies are run on a spreadsheet called inventory final final Diane final six dot xlsx or whatever I mean craziness and so that's the kind of stuff that we want to go in there and solve and open up like remove the friction and get them to a billion yeah how Hel-
1: helping businesses scale and I'm I'm I mean, like it sounds interesting because you use specific numbers and not just scaling and growing the business. You typically, you specifically mentioned two hundred million people to billion. um, Mm -hmm. That also, I am assuming, um, removes some of the like. Are you still industry agnostic, or does that mean that because you you earlier mentioned you started with a custom software company, but and I understand technology is everywhere, but still to. To, to make the goal or to have your vision to create or help the companies increase in revenue size, it could be mm-hmm. due to revenue from different type of work that they do, not necessarily it has to be technology related. Does that mean you also do marketing or you are targeting only question. those companies with the technology needs?
2: So um, the work we want to do is just technology. I've I've kind of in our, my examples I've made it sound like maybe we do some marketing. We don't. It's really just the, the, the work that we do really boils down into the consulting and strategy around what could or should you do to get to a billion uh, from your size and where we can plug in with technology, uh, the software development. We'll do that work, and where we can't, we'll try to bring in partners. But I really try to narrow it into the uh, the software development work that we could do. Um, and you kind of ask like, you know, are we in a vertical? There, there's a there's a phrase I got I stole from somebody I can't remember who it is so uh, I don't know what the credit goes to but someone gave me this idea that uh, think about if you narrow your market you broaden or sorry you narrow your focus excuse me if you narrow your focus you broaden your market and if you're mm-hmm. if you're if your customers out there and you say you know we supply you know marketing SEO software development and um, you know uh, optimization for healthcare finance you know health, it's like it's everything for everybody. It's hard to figure out what you do. And, you know, when I, when I say we're looking for companies of a certain size, it helps you kind of in your Rolodex kind of filters down to the Rolodex, but your, your database, your internal database database filters down to companies that size. And so some things I'm experimenting right now with. And so think about this for, for, for you, if I was talking to you and, uh, and you asked me what I did, and I'm really thinking about how do I position myself for referral? The more qualifiers and for our tech nerds out there, the more sort of like where clauses I add to the SQL statement, um, it's easier to find. So if I say $200 million companies um, within about hundred miles of Chicago in uh, finance or, um, you know, uh, insure tech, yeah. right? All of a sudden you say, oh, I know someone. And the one I've been experimenting lately to combine stuff we just talked about, I'd say whose CEOs are guitar players. And the funny thing is I've found, I've been using that and who CEOs are guitar players in the last two weeks. I just finally started doing that after 20 years because I'm an idiot. Um, what I noticed is until I get there, people are like, I don't know if I am, maybe, okay. And then as soon as I say guitar player, like, you got to meet Phil. And the more you can, and obviously that one isn't for everybody, but the more you narrow it down, you can't possibly serve a thousand clients next year unless you're, you know, publicist or whatever. Um, like I said earlier, 20, Will make my year, and so, are there ten thousand you know guitar playing CEOs out there? I don't know if there's eight hundred, if there's two hundred, I'll still do great, and so the, the it's almost like the courage to narrow your focus and pick a vertical, pick a size, pick a thing you do, because um, then then think about this. On the flip side, when when your puzzle piece matches up exactly with the thing you were talking about, I mean you know. We talked to three agencies and they're all over the place, but you guys specialize in healthcare. You've worked with startups, you've worked with non whatever the thing is. It's like, you're perfect mm-hmm. for us because you had the courage uh, to say exactly what you do. It's really, really powerful. And that's something I at least have been doing for a number of years. Uh, and it's gotten more and more successful, the more of those little qualifiers you put in. Let's
0: start it's a common networking technique that I saw that rose during COVID specifically. Is like, when you have these, I just started asking people to coffee chats, you know, you're mm-hmm. networking, you're chatting. Sure. It's hard to meet somebody on the street or at events or things like that. You know, you leave the conversation and say, who's a good referral for you. If I wasn't specific, I didn't get anybody to talk Never to. Seen you yep. know? So it was, it was, you know, I mean, it's a common marketing practice having been in that field. I enjoy your career. Yeah. It's a, one of those things where I can market anything to anybody, but if I don't know who I'm talking to, there's no point.
2: Sure. So
0: uh, I want to get that on a t-shirt maybe and it says together at the top, but, <laughs>
2: right.
0: um, but it's, it's a very, you know, you, you don't think about it during this sales process as well. If you, I know I love this idea of the, the inclusion of the guitar playing CEO, because mm-hmm. humans like to put humans in categories and mm-hmm. buckets. And if you help them do that faster, it allows them to narrow down the list of you know the 150 people right. they're keeping track of in their head. So, mm-hmm. or if they say, "Oh, you three weeks from now, you play guitar," I have a guy. You got yeah. talk to this guy. Who, you know, who? It's a, it's a really interesting technique. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask a little bit too um, as we continue our conversation. You know, COVID tends to be an interesting topic amongst agency owners because we all looked at our businesses and evaluated mm-hmm. how to do things, what makes sense. You know, so so I'll ask you um, a, a general question, and we'll go in from there. Is how did COVID change your business? What did how did you guys react? Because I know you um,
2: I'm so you um, a little bit.
1: You have an
0: interesting story here. So yeah.
2: <laughs> so I think um, as a general rule, um, we we figured out what to do pretty quickly. I think we were not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but I think we were a little ahead of the curve because our culture is. A, is very concerned about sort of each other and well-being and all that kind of stuff. And so when this started to become an issue, and I'm making these dates up a little bit, like late February, early March or something, um, I was like, you know, this is probably looking, this is probably looking like there's going to be something that is disruptive, and let's start planning on what happens if we had to go home. And we went home maybe a week or two before boasted. did. Um, mm-hmm. And being, you know, doing what we do, um, it is there's no problem with you know, developing code from home. Uh, and you know, our clients in manufacturing, you, know, like you can't make the widgets from your, you know, your home office, whatever. So you have to go in and do this stuff. We had the luxury of, of um, being remote and the joke I kept making throughout the, um, sort of the lockdown was, we need to think ourselves as like boarding group six on the airplane. Like everybody else goes on before us. Like there's no reason for us to even worry or think about going in uh, before then. And what we started to notice over time was that um, uh, we had the illusion that our productivity didn't really change. And really what happened was we ended up relying more and more on the senior people uh, to the point where a couple of senior people on our team had a couple like 150% billing months, which means like, you know, they were working 60 hour weeks, which is not what we want and not what the culture was. And it was mostly because the junior people who in an, in an office setting, I believe, had more of an opportunity to ask a question, maybe, an hour or two sooner or get a response an hour or two sooner. And it's one of those things where, you know, the right kind of circumstances could result in I ask a question at, you know, nine on Monday, and I don't get an answer until two on Wednesday from the senior person. And then I kind of either did nothing or nothing productive for two days. And so the, the those two graphs kind of that over the, uh, over the the course of the year. And so listening,
0: he's one hand's going one way, one hand's going, one's going up, one's going down. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Um, uh, and, um, uh, so, so we, so I think what the, um, the takeaway is that, uh, we've realized that we've had to get a lot better with communication and training and making sure we sort of prioritize junior, uh, devs first, um, and making sure people are unblocked and then letting the senior people get to it because it resulted in sort of backlogs of things that had to be kind of worked on all things, you know, uh, being equal though. um, It was, I think, with the exception of the couple of people who really went crazy kind of saving um, people's bacon over the course of the year. um, I think we've corrected that now, um, you know, a year and a half in. Um, But I think to be honest, it, it, the, the working from home thing was probably the one unexamined, non-progressive thing I had in my head. Like as an agency owner, we do everything, like every the answer to every idea at our place is pretty much yes, if it's a benefit to the business. But the one thing we're like, I think probably people should be in the office. And this proved that maybe they don't need to be all the time, probably some of the time, like there's some things. In fact, when we we, we were in the office a week or two ago for like a celebration of a, a CAX anniversary, which is what we call our anniversaries. And uh, people are sort of like giddy to like see and be around people like that isn't, that's not nothing. Um, I think probably we'll never go back to a five day week, but the question is like, whatever, whatever it is has to be in service of the business and our clients. So maybe that's two or three or something yet to be determined. Um, but I think that the, the, the short version is, um, our clients still needed a lot of work done. We had an up year, um, and we figured out how to do it, uh, because our business sort of lent itself to doing that.
1: Yeah, such a similar story that we had also because um, never ever we imagined ourselves going remote, and we were when forced to go remote. This was one very good example where now, you know, we have seen this work for one year. Why can it not work forever? Yeah. And that, and I have not heard from anyone, any agency owner yet who has planned to go five days a week back in 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 the office. Everybody yeah. we have spoken to, and everybody I You know, I, I, I talk, everyone has done that. And I think this is for a good cause, but also from the perspective of being flexible in terms of, and giving that flexibility to the employees and increasing your reach to find talent. Absolutely. So you, you also mentioned that you are not planning to go back five times a week, but in terms of hiring and resources, have you changed the way you are uh, looking at hiring? Um, of course, you know you, you're based in Chicago, so you are. You started with Chicago areas, but now yeah. are you expanding to other regions, other states,
2: other countries? We or, are, you know? we are, and so <clears throat> so I think that um we are uh, we started to look um, across the country, and um, we are. I think you you had this at the end of your question. We're not looking outside of the U.S. We have a number of clients where they're regulated in ways that makes that not an option for us. <clears throat> but um, I feel like obviously there are uh that's uh, a truism there are more people in the us than there are in chicago right so the idea of us finding people in other places is really appealing um i think uh, much like our clients do uh, and probably people experience this when they're uh you know in, in client situations if you're in denver and the clients in denver you have a better chance and if the client is in houston and you're in denver and they have an option to go to a local provider. They, you always, I mean, all things cool. you always pick the local person. So, you know, in the last six months, as we've looked at people, you know, people in the Chicago area get a preference because we can at least go meet them for lunch, or if we're doing a once a month thing, they can come in. Um, it's just a preference. Uh, I, I do have a um, one of the things we're working on right now is um, called CAXI 100, which is what what CACC looks like at 100 people, and really thinking about, um, you know you know, would this be the kind of thing that CACC would do with hundred people, whether it's systems or processes or, you know, attitudes or whatever. And I think to get there, given the kind of people we're looking for, it's going to have to come from around the country because we've struggled to find, because, you know, again, the technology is a table stakes, just like it is, I think with, you know, we're, you're doing these client proposals that we're looking for this sort of like, you know, how the person operates and how they work and, you know, integrity and humor and all these other kind of things that are not just the, the programming skills. So I think we're going to have to, we'll, we'll be hiring nationally kind of from now on.
0: Just, uh, you said something interesting Taxi 100, you know, I, I think one of the questions we tend to chat about on the podcast is growth plans. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to ask you, you know, is, is that your goal to see, to, to get to a hundred people internally? What, what are you guys, you know, where are you at currently? What are some of your thoughts behind growing there? You know, what are your future plans for the agency? You know, that's the official question.
2: Um, So there's this idea that I really like about um, continual incremental improvement. You probably heard it phrases like, you know, getting 1% better every day. Um, And it's really uh, having a goal that's just like, we want to grow or we want to get to 20 million or something um, is, is, is really a, an outcome. You don't have direct control. You only have indirect control over it, but things like I'm going to commit to, you know, a hundred sales calls, you know, in a certain time frame, or we're going to do code review every day at 10 and we're going to make sure everyone spends 20 hours a week on whatever. Those are things you can control and then you can kind of see the outcomes. And so one of the, the, the filtering ideas I got from a friend of mine who started grew and sold a 200 million dollar um, I think it was like a, like a sales enablement company from like you know uh, appointment setting down through you know tools and messaging and all these other kind of things and the thing that they said they started on day one with was is this something that our company at 200 million would do and so if it was like oh, the way we do payrolls we write down a piece of paper and we send it to Julie and she faxes it that's not what we're, we could do at 200 million so that's not what we're going to do now and you know the way that we do recruiting is you know we call our brother Larry and he's no no so everything they they filtered through this idea of a company at 200 million would or would not do it this way and we're going to adapt today day one to committing to whatever it is has to be at that scale. So what ended up happening was they grew to I think from I think it was like three or four some really short time frame to 200 million dollars and sold it in large part because they committed to doing all the things that a company that size would do. And so for me, I, I always like to filter it in. So I, I changed the filter to people because that's more tangible for the way our company operates. And so, you know, for example, um, you know, um, like, okay, confession, I, I put our newsletter together, right? And would Kaxi, would caxi 100, at caxi 100, would the CEO be responsible for designing and writing and sending out the email and actually being the person in MailChimp going sent? No, that's crazy. And so, you know, how do we, how do we shift that thinking to do this? Well, the way we do our marketing, would we do that at, you know, at Caxi 100? The way we do training, what we just talked about, you know, with a hundred employees, 30 of whom might be junior, you know, and recognizing that junior people don't do as well from home as they might do with mentoring an office. How are we going to do that? And so instead of right now we're worrying about maybe the three or four new people that started in the last month or two, oh yeah, we can handle Steve and Sally and Charlie, whatever, but at a bigger scale, you know, what we do. Um, and I think it also is worth saying that you know, growth for growth's sake really isn't meaningful, perhaps. And so for me, the reason I picked that number is it's it's the number that I sort of picked as where we can have a diverse enough um, skill set to solve really really big problems. So sometimes as we as we've grown, we've gotten to situations where a client needs us to go from zero to a hundred. Uh, And now I'm kind of mixing what these numbers mean, but like, you know, go from not starting to fully engage in the project with maybe more resources than we could allocate. And therefore we miss opportunities to solve that problem because they find, you know, Accenture, you know, a Tata or someone to come and go, yeah, we have a thousand developers that can start on Tuesday. And so I feel like to to scale up some of those bigger problems, we need to be at a bigger scale. And I also think it, it seems to some, like a flywheel or momentum point of view. I think it attracts more people, both uh, clients and, um, uh, and prospective uh, employees, so I feel like that's it's just a it's just a, it's a line in the sand, and so now we're sort of reverse engineering what are all the activities we would need to do to manage to get there, and that's sort of part of 2022 planning right now.
0: It's a it's a creative, unique, you know, problem solving approach to hmm. you know answering the growth question. So uh, I appreciate you running us through that. So we've, we've covered quite a bit today. I have kind of one, one final question for you, unless Varun's got anything lurking over there, you know, we'd like to ask our, our guests, you know, what's the, what's the one thing that keeps you up at night as an agency owner? Hmm. Ooh, we got a pause.
2: (laughs) And a pauser. Um, Yeah.
0: It's not as easy as a question as you might think, you know, we've had a lot of folks who answer, you know, sales is obviously an issue. How do we make sure that Mm -hmm. the the deals are coming in? How do we make sure that that we're funding appropriately?
2: So, sorry, I appreciate the, uh, your 15 second vamp. So I could think of something. (laughs) It's my um, job. (laughs) But, uh, you know, honestly, I feel like the number one job of the CEO and kind of how you ultimately get, um, judged your outcomes are, 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 are evaluated is your ability to make decisions about the priority of things you're working on and so for me I think the thing that I don't know if it keeps me up at night like I'm not I'm not like a stressed or worried person but I think that um, the our help with this the ability to get to Caxi 100 is probably predicated somewhat on my ability to make consistently good decisions about the millions of things I'm working on and you know so, I wrote this one book and now I'm starting another book and I'm also doing all the sales and marketing and there's this thing and this event and all this other kind of stuff. And also on the side, I still play music. I've got a band thing. I'm working on an album and this thing. And, and um, that probably slows me down a wee bit. I think some of it is making some choices about what I don't do or what you say no to. And that's maybe a cliche, but um, I think we'll go faster, better, and smarter if I can narrow the number of things I'm working on and make more clear decisions about them.
0: It's a intentioned Mm decision-making prioritization, you know, and balance feel like are the three things that came up in that, that answer. So this was, this was a great conversation. It's a a lot of topics we haven't touched on. And I think you've, you figured out a lot of, a lot of challenges that smaller and not so small organizations struggle with and how Mm -hmm. to best approach some of our our standard challenges within the agency yeah. world. So um, thank you for, for your time today. And uh, sure. where where folks can find Michael are, um, well, your book website, Make Me Super Powered, superpowered.com can find you on the LinkedIn under Michael mm-hmm. LaVista on the Twitter. And then your company website is caxi.com as well. So thank you so much. Um, that's it, everyone. If you learned something today, laughed, Tell someone about the podcast. Have a wonderful afternoon or day or evening or whatever time you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies.bill.com. Plus, we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.